0: How are you today? How are you for real? I will go first. I am really tired. I'm a little depressed right now. The world kind of looks gray, like literally and otherwise. It's hard to prepare a sermon when you're gloomy, unless you're a gloom and doom preacher, which I try not to be. I am trying to choose joy. How about you? How are you really doing? Today is Christ the King Sunday. It is such a rich and meaningful day. It's the last Sunday of the church year. Next week we say Happy New Year. It is a wonderful day. Does it connect at all with how I'm actually doing this morning or you? Does it connect at all with what's actually happening out there? Someone having brunch at a restaurant, someone over in Palestine, a refugee who just arrived here, does it, does it connect with that at all? Does it make any difference, not just in theory, but for real? A couple of years ago on this Sunday, Christ the King Sunday, I preached a sermon with a title, I don't usually title my sermons, but that one was titled, Who Cares That Christ Is King? Maybe it feels that way to you today, too. Who cares? (laughs) Who cares that Christ is king when the church is a big mess? Who cares that Christ is king when I've got to get the kids to soccer practice while also somehow coming up with dinner and making Christmas happen again? Who cares that Christ is king when I have a test at school or when I'm doing well at school or not doing well at school or when my friend is not being kind to me at school? Who cares? Just to be clear, I care. (laughs) I know the right answer, but I'd also like an answer that feels real. Last week after church, I got to spend some time with our older youth, including John. Thanks, John. It was really awesome. The thing I appreciated most was their honest reactions and questions. And one of the things they mentioned finding difficult was paying attention to sermons. Any grown ups resonate with that? Well, one of our youth suggested that more interactive sermons might help them pay attention and engage. And that's actually very much in line with what I think a sermon is for. And given that all of our youth are in the service today, that's what we're going to do. Don't worry, I'll take good care of you. This morning, we're gonna look at the scriptures together. There's a lot of biblical literacy in this room. A lot of people who know the scriptures and you know your lives too, better than I do. So I want us to consider two questions. First is simply, what are your honest questions and reactions to this morning's readings? What doesn't make sense? What makes your heart go, uh, or ah? And the second question is, what does it mean that Christ is King? What does it mean? Maybe, you know, theologically, what do you see from the scriptures? What does it mean? But also, what does it mean for us here and now in our actual lives, our real lives? So I'm going to give you about five minutes to just look at the texts. You don't have to talk with your neighbor. You can, if you want, I know we have different comfort levels of that five minutes. Look at these texts, look at the scriptures and consider these questions. If you're at home, you can do the same thing. And I'm gonna unsilence my phone if you wanna text me your questions and your comments or put them in the chat. So again, the two questions, what are your honest questions and reactions from today's reading? And what does it mean that Christ is king? We'll see what happens next. All right, I've gotten a couple of uh, questions on my phone. I wanna start with your honest questions and reactions. By the way, if you're in here and you are a visual person and you wanna just draw a picture during this time, that's fine too. What are your honest questions and reactions or responses to this passage? I'm gonna ask you to actually tell me those, (laughs) then I'll repeat them so that everyone can hear. Here's I'll share someone what someone texted me. So I'll break the ice. All right. Someone texted me. I've been wondering how it feels for a person who's actively being oppressed, how how it feels for someone who's actively being oppressed, the declaration that Christ is king, how they feel about that. Are they encouraged that he will write what was wrong? Are they discouraged that he doesn't look like it right now? It's that question of this gap between what we experience and what we know to be real. Is that encouraging or discouraging? What does it feel like Um, someone who's being actively persecuted? It's a good question. Um, Someone texted me in as much was a rude awakening for me. I had thought becoming a Christian was sweetness and light. And I found out it's more like enlisting in the army. Inasmuch, I think, being from that Matthew passage, right? Inasmuch as you did for the least of these, you did for me. Who likes these passages? The Ephesians passage passage is cool. A few others like it. Uh, Who finds some of this stuff troubling? Anybody troubled by the gospel passage? That was a tough one. I was really compelled by the Old Testament passage, the Ezekiel passage, and the sheep and the shepherds, and man... Thank you, Lord, bring it on. I'm also troubled by the gospel reading. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell me a cool part that you hadn't noticed before. (laughs) In (laughs) verse 34, then the
1: king will saying to them, come you who are blessed by my father, and take your inheritance. And it was such a sweet reminder to me that, we have an inheritance.
0: First
1: of all, it's ours
0: just to take because of our father's mm-hmm. Not of I did or I might be Yeah, that that take your inheritance reframes it from you did all this stuff and you earned it. <laughs> to there's a kingdom, and you do have an inheritance because you have a really good father and a really good king. Yeah, the, we'll we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Any of our youth. Or others have questions. Like, what does this mean? What's going on here? I see a lot of puzzled faces. Julie. Um, when I was reading this to prepare to read this morning, mm-hmm. they
1: both talk about.
0: Yeah, they talk about shepherds and and separating. Say more. Right, and um, when I read Ezekiel the first time, all I could think of was God rescuing
1: the hostages. Mm. And then when I read, and not just the Israeli really hostages, because they're Palestinians they're hostages, it has happened for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, And then in you know, the gospel passage, I we moved my
2: mountains to every year,
0: mm-hmm. and I thought about how taking care of her taking care of Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Julie. So Julie made a couple of analog, or of points. One, especially from the Ezekiel passage of God seeking out those who've been scattered, those who are lost, and thinking about and current events, hostages, God, God has taken back hostages and, re- and redeeming hostages. Um, and then on a more personal level, um, and I ma- imagine many of you who care for your elderly parents or even for little kids resonate with this, that when you take care of those bodily needs with somebody who is who needs a lot of, of care or who is failing in health, that that's a way of caring for Jesus. Um, that's one way that those, yeah, it's an expression of love for Jesus, yeah. So what, yeah, Dave.
2: So the Matthew, at the first hearing of Matthew 25,
1: you feel like, oh, Jesus is a judge, and like half the people are going to be on the right, or maybe even less, and a bunch of people are going to be on the left. And then the thought goes, Oh wait, have I done enough mm-hmm. to, make, to make it to the right side? Yes, I've done this, you know,
2: but look, someone
1: else has done so much more. And there's this sort of, a like, and then you go back to Ezekiel and you go, oh, the shepherd is helping the sheep. And then you go back to Matthew and he says, and the righteous say, well, the <laughs> they didn't have, they didn't come before the judgment of this. In fact, mm. they didn't even think they deserve
2: to be on that side.
1: So there's something really interesting going on in the attitudes of the people being judged, and my suspicion is there are going to be a whole lot more people
0: on the right than are on the left. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So I hear Dave going. There is no separation between sheep and goats happening in this room. Um, Dave is wrestling, again, wrestling with this Matthew 25 passage that it sounds like, oh, it's going to be half this church and half the church. And it sounds like, oh, have I done enough to make the list? And going back to, you know, into Ezekiel. And then, yeah, we're going to talk more about that. Oh, it's good. Comments. Paul, then Lizzie, then Jackie.
2: Can I, can I go back to the question of Liz, I mean that,
0: Yeah. Right, I mean,
2: it, when I think about these, it's that, that God is sovereign, and that there's a drive to history, and that the char, there are certain characteristics of, of God throughout that time. Mm. And it's about it's the way he looks at things, which is different from way he looks and the way he treats people versus how we treat people, mm. and what I think about was think about like Luke fifteen, where you know, Pharisees ask, "Why why do why, you why would these kind of people?" being told three stories: mm. lost, lost coin, lost sheep, lost son, mm. and he's like, "That's why, I'm, because there, there are people matter. Mm-hmm. These people matter." The characteristics of every one of those stories, something was lost in it, mattered, and it created an action on the part of the, you know, the leader. The mm-hmm. leader. And it's so why when I think about Ezekiel, when I think about the uh, gospel passage, it's like there are characteristics of the kingdom of God, and pay attention to those
1: because
2: mm-hmm.
0: they matter. Mm. Oh man, wish we had a microphone for you, Paul so everybody could hear, Um, I'll see if I can summarize. Um, Paul's thinking big picture, that the world has a trajectory. It has a place where it's going because of what God is doing, what God is about. And within that, within the kingdom, people really matter. And that's one of the things that stands out to me from both the Ezekiel passage and the Matthew passage is that the vulnerable, the weak, really matter. And how we treat them as fellow sheep how leaders treat them really matters. That's not something that just gets brushed over. When it people really matter in the kingdom of God. That's one of the as we move into what does it mean that Jesus Christ is King. Jesus is a king, and he uses his power in a very particular way. He uses it for the weak and vulnerable, not to oppress. Good. Lizzie.
1: For the Matthew I. There are two ways that I have wrestled with it. There are sometimes I come to that passage and it makes me very, very uncomfortable, and I don't want people to ask me what I think about it. You know, I'm like, what, like, do I think I fall where I think other people fall? The fact that anybody is not ending up on the right, I don't like thinking about that. Um, and then there are other times where I think about. I, uh, how much is wrong
2: mm-hmm. in how many
1: people are really great mm-hmm. because of so many unfair systems and there's so much of it I don't even know about. <coughs> and, uh, I, I feel weird that in recent years I have actually learned a space where that God is going to show up and judge people has, at times, I will say, become a comfort to me. Mm-hmm. That was never something I would have been comfortable with at other times. And I'm not saying I should do that way, I always give up,
0: it, yeah. I go back and Yeah, it's pretty normal for us to, to read a passage like this and, and go eek, like eternal punishment, what? But then when we step back and we think of all the evil there is in the world, the genuine evil, it is good news that God will judge evil. It's very good news, it's hard news. But I, again, I'm so compelled by this Ezekiel passage. Um, Last week, you know, we were in Judges and then you have all the kings and they all fail miserably and oppress the people and exploit them and use them. The beginning of Ezekiel 34 is all about how those shepherds failed God's people and exploited and abused God's people. And the Lord says, no, no more, I'm against those shepherds. I'm gonna send my shepherd, I'm gonna come myself. I'm gonna save God's people from abusive shepherds and from abusive sheep. And if we fall into those categories, we ought to actually be scared and (laughs) repent. It's, you know, one of the things about Jesus as king is that he will judge someday. We Fleming Rutledge, you might know her name. She's a priest, a famous, well, kind of famous. Are any preachers famous? I don't know. Uh, Fleming Rutledge. And she talks about, you know, we will be there on the day of judgment. I have a quote from her here, all of us, that Jesus will sit on his throne of glory and at his feet spread out before him will be all of human history in unimaginable completeness. Napoleon will be there, Julius Caesar and Genghis Khan and Joan of Arc will be there, Martin Luther and Columbus and Pol Pot will be there. The great and terrible day of the Lord. And I think this is probably a good point to just, or a good place to say we are not judged by whether we've done enough. It's really, you know, good Protestants, we read that and we, "Mm, not so sure. That's not the point. We can never, ever do enough. Fleming Rutledge, again, the parable of the last judgment is not about totaling up one's good deeds. It is about serving Christ the Lord. Serving Christ. Um, Both the sheep and the goats are surprised. Isn't that interesting? The sheep were not checking the list off and saying, okay, I've done enough. No, they were just out of the overflow of their hearts serving others. They were like Jesus, and so they behaved like Jesus in the world. It's based on serving and honoring Christ by serving and honoring those who are in need. Um, It's hard that judgment can be good news and hard news too, It's sobering. Um, Jackie, did you have your... Good.
1: Nineteen, he says, the Bible. and his incomparably great power for us to believe that power is the same as the mightiest great age, he raised Christ from the dead. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: Yeah, that that the power in Ephesians, the power that raising Christ from the dead and seating him in the heavenly places, we have that power, and it's that power that transforms us and enables us to exercise power the way Jesus did, to care for those who need it. Ryan.
1: That um of <coughs> uh, the gospel passage from last week, where third servant, the way. I used to I used to not like that herbal because it felt like uh you know really capitalistic <laughs> But what the servants sin was not trusting the abundance of the master. Yeah. Mm.
0: That's a great point. Ryan is bringing in the gospel reading from last week. Good memory. It's the parable of the talents and that third servant fails to um, be in touch with the abundance of the master. And um, Ryan is, is is making a connection between these two much better than I will be able to on, on the spot. But that we often fail to serve the least of these because we feel like we don't have enough or we don't have anything to give or there's that scarcity. Whereas God's saying, I'm giving and giving and giving. I'm the shepherd that brings that I came myself to take the sheep to the pasture to tend to you. You have everything that you need to offer to others. Uh, and again, I'm mentioning Fleming Rutledge because her sermon on this passage was given in the context of her parish's stewardship campaign. It's really interesting and that's not my primary purpose today, don't worry but I was struck by her challenge and her sermon to her parish that they get their budget in shape so that they didn't have to just keep spending money on themselves. That's really challenging. And amen. What would it be like at Redeemer if someday we are able to not just worry about like the plumbing and the payroll and like all these necessary things, but then to have an abundance to give outward, to be focused outward the way that Jesus is. Oh, Convicting us, Lord, convicting us. Dan.
2: Uh, I think there's an underlying principle that we need to recognize, just to articulate, to Mm -hmm. say out loud, Uh, because all the good works in the world do not accomplish salvation. Right. We need to remember that all of our works filthy rags before the Mm -hmm. Lord unless we have come to Christ and become followers of Christ Mm -hmm. and that we recognize that our righteousness is not ours but his Mm -hmm. that we receive righteousness from him and that the good works that have been prepared for us to do since the Mm -hmm. foundation of the world uh, are done not to Add up this big pile of good works so in the final judgment, that can come in and say, right. Lord, I did
0: it. Yeah.
2: Those good works are in response to Christ's love towards us as showing him our love towards him by being obedient, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, mm-hmm. soul, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Mm-hmm. Those are the two
0: fulfillments of the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. So it's not that we are we have to just say over and over and over, salvation is from the Lord, not from our own works. It's not, you know, we can never earn we, back what he's given to us. It's grace. Oops, I'm going to cough. Once we recognize
2: that our salvation is from the Lord, we can walk securely in knowing that God doesn't desire any good marriage. And as the great shepherd in Ezekiel or in Matthew, He'll take care of us. Yeah. He'll get us to the end. Yeah. We just need to keep our focus on Jesus. And as we love him and he provides mm-hmm. opportunities for us to serve, we do so out of a grateful heart to him. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we, the good works flow out of someone who knows Jesus. If we don't know Jesus, it's just going to be drumming up energy. Do we know Jesus? Do we love Jesus? Are we filled with that power by the Holy Spirit, reordering our priorities, our lives, out of love and gratitude and abundance? Woo. I want to highlight a few points as we draw our our, uh, conversation to close. What does it mean that Jesus is king? He's the ruler. He rules all. And he shows us what a good ruler is supposed to do and why it's so painful when we don't get that. Um, Rulers can be good news. Good rulers are good news because we often uh, hurt each other. Uh, It's good news that we have someone in charge who is just and good and righteous and tender. Um, Again, Jesus shows us about the right and wrong use of power. Who are the weak sheep who've been scattered and kicked instead of bound up and fed? The Lord will seek them out, and we should seek them out too. Jesus will judge someday. Advent's coming, and Advent is not a time of um, sweetness and light. It's a day for judgment, and we don't like that, but it is good news in a world full of chaos. I love the collect for today. That prayer that um, King of Kings and Lord of Lords will for the peoples of the earth divided and enslaved by sin. That's just accurate. May be freed and brought together, mended over under his most gracious rule. This is good news that God will judge. And also that we have a king that we can trust to do what is right. I think that's some of my fear, right? When I get to Matthew 25 is like, it feels kind of arbitrary, but no. We have a righteous judge, a king we can trust to do what is most right, even when we don't know what the heck that is. A ruler that's so good and just and loving and merciful, so committed to the freedom and flourishing of every single one of his sheep, that the fact of his rule is the very best news we have to share. He's a ruler that won't tolerate abuses of power in those who lead or those who follow. He's a ruler that goes out of his way to find the sheep that were wounded and scattered by their former shepherds. A ruler that gets down on his hands and knees to wash feet and bind up wounds and keep the overfed sheep away (laughs) so that their scrawnier neighbors can feed and grow strong again. He's a ruler that will set all things in order, starting in me and in you. Lord Jesus, you are king. This is a hard thing and a good thing. We dare to give thanks that today you will come to judge the living and the dead. Not today, well, maybe, <laughs> someday. We pray that we would be more and more filled with your love, that on that day that we greet you, um, we receive an inheritance that we, is beyond our imagination, not because we want the inheritance, but because we want you. So, O oh Lord, fill us with love for you and with one another. Thank you that you are our good and gracious King. And we lift everything that we have to you in praise and in worship and in honor. And your name we pray. Amen.